Thank you very much. I'm really humbled to be here this morning because listening to uh, Brian and uh, Sandy and Chelsea and then uh, the Cambodian, I guess, Grace, is that it? And then listening to Chris and then listening to the songs. I think we should just close the service and go on. But I'm humbled because I'm a product of what they all do. I'm an end result of what they do. I met Jesus Christ because somebody like Brian and Sandy and, and Grace and all of you that have sent out missionaries, teamwork, isn't it? I met Christ as a result of that. And I like the songs that we sang this morning. I thought of the greatest apologist, Rabbi Zacharias, when he said that God wrote his signature in each of our souls. You think about that. God put his signature in each of our souls. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the world to save the world. Yeah, we have airplanes and helicopters. I happened to fly the helicopter, and I was kind of staying away from the airplanes yesterday. But, you know, they're just tools that we use, and God has gifted us with talents like Brian and, and many, many others who flies. In fact, there's a lot of unsung heroes this morning that I'm just so delighted to, to see Uncle Virgil Gottfried with the Samaritan's Purse. He used to fly, and I met him long, long time ago, back in 1972 when I first came to Ohio. I came here 40 years ago. You, you can't believe I landed with Bernie May out in Hartville, Ohio, where most Gingrich, some of you know, the famous barbecue. I like to come to Ohio because they do barbecue right. They do chicken right. I love your chicken here. Yesterday I had some good chicken from Gerber, I heard. But most Gingrich used to come to jars and, and did barbecue over there, and I love that. We landed there and at their farm over there, Bernie and I. Then we went to Berlin. I met Roy Mast. And I met Virgil Godfrey down in Waxhaw and, and all those unsung heroes that God has placed all over the world that we didn't even know, but God used them to orchestrate special event in history so that people, the likes of me, would come to know Jesus Christ. That's why I like what new tribes had put in there. When I was watching all the pictures that were on the screen this morning in there, Brian and Sandy and Chelsea and, and the one in Cambodia, I thought of this brochure that was done by new tribes. I picked it up. I was speaking in Pennsylvania several years ago, and I picked up this brochure that was done by new tribes, and it says right here, when people have the choice to choose God, that's our business. When people don't have a choice, it's our business. And you here at Fairlawn Mennonite, you are doing the business God has called you to do. And again, this past week, I was reminded of the awesomeness of God because I, was, I flew up to Bangor, Maine, and I was reminded again of what Jeremiah 15, verse 16 says, where it says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I thought about that as I was flying into Bangor, Maine to pick up the helicopter in Rumford, Maine. Because that's where it all started out for me. God's grace is awesome, isn't it? When the word, it's just, also the word of God is so powerful. That's why we go out to the ends of the earth to proclaim the word of God to people. 
because it's powerful. That's what it says in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Piercing, it says, as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature, it says, is hidden from his sight, but all are open, let bare to him with whom we have to give account to. That's the word of God, isn't it? Powerful. And when you give it to people in the languages they understand best, God penetrates their hearts to a very personal way, and he transforms them life, their lives to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this morning, you're looking at the end result of what God is doing. I was transformed because his word came, and we ate it among the isnags because I'm an isnag. And they call me Pugyao, by the way. It's not something else. But in Ohio, I'm Nard Yoder. When I go to Michigan, I'm Nard Vander Smith. <laughs> if you can say Pugyao, just call me Smith. By the way, I have some friends from Michigan, faithful supporters, Dick and Lois Piper. They came all the way from Pontiac, Michigan to be here at this event this weekend. And I'm so delighted to be with them this weekend too. And also to see what God is doing to your church here, to the people. I look in here in the congregation, I see all kinds of young people in here. I saw Chelsea in here, delighted to hear her speak over here, going back to Kenya and, and uh, South Sudan, being a missionary out there. And I think of Psalm 78, where the word of God again says, when it says, what we have heard from our fathers, and for me, what we have heard from the missionaries, we're going to tell it to the to the, our children. Our children will tell it to their children and their children to their children and the one that I like the best. And as I look at in here in this congregation, a lot of young people in here who will impact the world for Jesus Christ. The one I like in the Psalm 78 is that and to the yet unborn. And I think of Chelsea this morning to the yet unborn, checking all those babies. God is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's awesome, isn't it, to be a part of that. And then Jesus and his disciples were talking to the master in Matthew 24. And they said, Master, when's the end time going to be? And they knew there was an end to everything. And Jesus said, yeah, there is going to be an end to everything. But he said, you will hear rumors of war. There will be something going on. And you know that in the world there will be earthquakes and everything. He said, if you read the chapter 24 of Matthew, he talks about that. And there's an end to it. But he said, but that's not the end. He said, because this gospel, it says in verse 14, one of my favorite verses, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, meaning to all people. Then he said, the end shall come. I long for his return, are you? And I'm praying, I wish he would return before November 6th so I wouldn't have to vote. But it's not going to do that until everybody at least hears once. And that's what you're all about here at this church. And I'm so impacted by your love for Jesus Christ. The pictures that I saw this morning, I wish I could just close the service. But This past week, I was reminded again. Like I said, I went to Bangor, Maine, where they don't call me Nard. They call me Nad up there. And they always say, oh, nah, it's good to have you here in mine. We got to go to Bahaba and have some lobster. So I had some, my, I had some of my lobster last Thursday. But I thought about that because there were seven people that came from Calvary Bible Church 
or Calvary Baptist Church. They came in there at a dinner that I had, and I thought about that, and I told them, the people in there, I told them, I remember 1955, you commissioned right in, in your church in there a guy named Richard Rowe who was a Word of Life camp in Schoon Lake, New York, 1949. And I'm going there, speaking there a week from yesterday up there driving my motorcycle to Schoon Lake, New York. Again, God is reminding me of his awesomeness. You know, each of our lives, there's something, something unique about each one of us. That each one of us, like my friend Barney May said, that each one of us are a trophy of God's grace. So you're very unique, very special. God has a job for you. And that's the awesomeness of God. And for me, I remember, as you listen to this story this morning, I want, I want to share with you this story. It's a story. It's not an art story. It's a story of God's grace. It's a story of what, how he orchestrates the details and intricate way in our lives that brings about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. I want you to think about him. It's not about this church. It's not about Samaritan's Purse, about Wycliffe or Jars or anything like that, or SIL, all those missions organizations working around the world. It's not about them, but it's about the God of heaven and earth, like we sang this morning. That's why in Psalms 115, verse 1, it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And I want you to do that this morning, to give him all the glory because of him that we worship this morning. You know, I remember I was sitting inside a little bamboo hut, watching through the bamboo cracks as a little old woman approaching a bamboo hut. She had a rolled up mat on her, under her arm, a little pouch in her back. She was coming to our bamboo hut because my little sister was to the point of death. And this little old woman happened to be the doctor of the village. Not the medical doctor that you would think of, but the witch doctor that could communicate to the spirit world. And as he was coming to our bamboo hut, I was sitting right there in the little corner, shivering to death because I knew what she was going to do. She was going to call on the spirit world to appease them somehow to make sure that my little sister was going to live. And she happened to be coming there, and my parents invited her to come because she had the power when she was possessed by demons, to communicate to the spirit world. Now she climbed to the bamboo stairs. I was watching her every move, and terrifying moment, even though she was a little bent up a little bit, and she was also my aunt living next door in another hut. I didn't want to have anything to do with her. I watched her every move, and she walked up towards my little sister lying down on the bamboo floor, taking her rolled-up mat and rolling it beside her, and then kneeling down, taking her pouch took four very special leaves he picked from a tree nearby, forming them like a clover leaf-like, holding the stems, he closed her eyes and mumbled something in a language I could not understand, and tossed them up in the air, and they come fluttering down on the floor mat, and she was supposed to decipher what the spirits had demanded that very moment, whether they would kill my little sister, demand a form of sacrifice, or provide some kind of a medication. But you all know spirits are real, right? They're real here in Ohio, real in America, just like they're real in the jungles where I grew up because the Bible talks about that. I like the, the verse in scriptures in the Gospel of Mark where it talks about Jesus coming into the region of the Gerasenes. If you read the chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark, he comes in there and there was this man called the tomb man. I call him the tomb man. He lives among the tombs. And sometimes they bind him hand and foot. He broke every chain that was containing him. Nobody could contain him. And Jesus appears in this place. 
he runs towards the master and shouts on top of his voice, Jesus, son of God, what do you have to do with us? And Jesus rebukes him, heals the man, and he started a conversation. And I like that conversation. He asked him, what is your name? They said, we're legion because we're many. And they begged the master, please don't send us out. They knew what Jesus could do. He knew, they knew he was the son of God. But, you know, you think about it. You think about it like Chris was saying. Duh, you know. They don't know that Jesus was the son of God. Nobody really knew. The disciples even questioned him. They've seen his miracles, but they questioned him. But here comes a demon. They knew he was the son of God. They knew what he could do. And they begged him, please don't send us out. There's some pigs out there. Would you just send us out there? And Jesus says, be gone. 2,000 pigs come careering down the hillside. Can you imagine if you're a hog farmer from Iowa? All your pigs are demon-possessed, 2,000 or more than 10,000, 60,000. That's a terrifying moment. That's in the Bible. And in Ephesians, it says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavenly host. But you know, we don't have to be scared about them, too. We don't need to be scared of them if we know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Because the Bible again says that he that is in us, Jesus Christ, is greater than he that is in the world. So we're more than conquerors. But did you know that spirits always demanded a form of sacrifice? You know, for us in the jungles, they demanded our pigs, our chickens, our dogs, our cows. Plus, they demanded our total allegiance to them. But you know, all I could remember in that was that my little sister died. And I could still remember to this day my father with a hammer, hammering the little box where my little sister lay down. I knew then age of three or four there was life and death. I don't know about you all, but you know, for me, the older I get, the more I marvel at how awesome God really is. Like I said, this past week I was reminded again that back then, 1949, God through his grace, a young man from Ira, Vermont, going down to Schoon Lake, New York, attending Word of Life International Camp. Jack Wurtzen, the founder. This guy's name was Richard Rowe, age 18, just out of high school, out of Rutland, Vermont, attending camp. And I'm going to be there next Friday. I don't know what Jack Wurtzen preached, but all I knew was that Richard Rowe was one of the campers right there. He gave the invitation, walked that aisle, gave his heart to Jesus Christ to serve him in missions. And when I was there just this past week, I said, God, how awesome. And that while you were still forming me inside my mother's womb, halfway around the world, you were also speaking to the heart of the person who would travel halfway around the world to come and introduce me to the person of Jesus Christ. To me, that's an awesome God. Why would the creator of the universe, why would he love me that much? Why would he care about any one of us? Why would he love us? Well, that's the awesomeness of God. That all of us are very important in his sight. Matter of fact, right this very second, God is forming in a mother's womb. The person that each one of you will have to go and introduce to the person of Jesus Christ. Being formed this second in a mother's womb. And the person will only hear about Jesus Christ if you, just like Chelsea, going to Sudan. Making sure the person will hear about Jesus Christ because you are going to be an instrument of his grace. Perhaps here among us or across the street, or in your schools, or halfway around the world, in a little village somewhere. And that person will only hear about him if you will go and say, hey, I will be an instrument, just like Chris and Lauren are doing to go out to Montana. 
God is building. It's awesome, isn't it, to do that? Well, Richard Rowe knew that in the world there were some 3,000 languages back then who have never heard, like what we did in Wycliffe. They said 2,000 tongues to go, but if you go to my village in there, 2,000 rapids to go, climbing up that river, up the Abulog River. We sing that song, 2,000 rapids to go. It takes you forever to get there. And Dick knew that in the world there were some 3,000 languages, and he knew the power of the Word of God. And when you give it to people in the languages, they understand best. It makes sense, and they can understand. And the power, the penetrating power of his Word needed to be given to them. He, wants to have a, he wanted to have a part in that, but he couldn't go just age 18. He needed some training along the way. He went to Wheaton College, majored in anthropology. And you could see all the events in there, going there in 1949, graduating in 1953, which is another special event in history because 1953, Cameron Townsend was down in Mexico doing Bible translation to Fonda Wycliffe receiving a letter from the president of the Philippines, Ramon Magsaysay, and he said to Mr. Townsend, I understand you do linguistic research and Bible translation work. Would you please come to the Philippines and start your work of linguistic research and Bible translation? Because in the Philippines, we have 7,107 islands, 150 languages scattered all over the islands. Please come. And of course, the heart and passion of Townsend was Bible translation work because I heard the story that back in the early 30s he was trying to earn money to go to college selling Spanish Bibles in Guatemala. And come up to a catechical Indian and tried to sell a Bible to this guy who could not even read, let alone Spanish. And the catechical Indian said to him, if your God is so great, why can't he speak my language? And the heart of Townsend was gripped to the very core. He said, I've got to do something. And he started Wycliffe Bible Translators because he knew the power of the Word of God in the heart language. So he sent out one of his men to the Philippines, Richard Pittman, arriving there February 1953, signing the contract with the government the 28th day of February 1953. And Bible translation work started in the Philippines. Richard Rowe moved from Vermont on to Brewer, Maine where I was just last week, and this time I was reminded again the grace of God because right there at Calvary Baptist Church, they commissioned him November 1955 to go on to the Philippines. And Dick was assigned to the Philippines, and I was growing up in the northern jungles. And you see the hand of God, when he walks people in there, he touches them in every way. There's always a recipient of what he does, a ripple effect. And you here at this church have had a part around the world, to Africa, to Cambodia, you name it, all over. And I thank God for you all, because that's what it is, because I'm a ripple effect of what you all do. God is building his church among you and among the nations around the world. Dick raised his support on his way to San Francisco, January 10, 1956. He was supposed to board the freighter to go to the Pacific back then. I wish they had DC-3 then, uh, Brian, but they didn't. And you know, two days before going to the Philippines, the word that comes to my mind, what if? And I thought about that question in Brewer, Maine last week, too, of what if? And you think about it, what if? Because two days before boarding that freighter, 1950, January 
1956, an event in history shaking the church of Jesus Christ around the world. January 8, 1956, it says five missionaries were murdered by Alka Indians in Ecuador, South America. And the thought in Richard Rowe's mind could have said, I'm not going. Savages kill missionaries. I'm not going to go. What if his parents said, no, son, we can't let you go? Or what if he said, I'll just teach at university, whatever it takes. You know, God could have let him stay here, but he went. Boarded the freighter, January 10, 1956, arriving in Manila, the 9th of February, 1956, and Bible translation was getting closer and closer to the jungles where I grew up. As God called him there because he knew there was a little boy. Then I found out years later that Wycliffe had sent a survey team up to Apaya, my province in there. They got to the town, and they asked the officials in the town where would be a good place for them to learn Isnak, which is my language. And all the officials said to them in Kabugao, downriver from us, they said, you go a little further upstream to the village of Dibagat. That's the good place for you where you can learn Isnak and translate the Bible right there. God knew there was a little boy born in a little village of Dibagat needing to hear about Jesus. Jesus Christ, so that he could come and say thank you to you this morning. God could only do such an event in history. That's the orchestrating hand of God, isn't it? Awesome God. So Dick was assigned to come to us. He went all the way as far as he could by bus to the northern coast of the Philippines. He got to the end of the road. He had to go on a ferry boat to the next river, paddling his canoe, going upstream the Abolog River, and then the end of the canoe ride, hiking another eight hours, and he was plopped in the village of Dibagat. If you look at the map of the Philippines, look for the word Dibagat, nowhere to be found, not even a speck of dust on the map of the Philippines. But, you know, I have a GPS position to prove it's really there. And if you go Google Earth, you could see where it is. And if you were the Isnuk people, all of a sudden this guy walks in your village, six foot two, white, pale, clumsy at that. What would you want to do with him? Would you want to eat him? Yeah, we do. We love white people that taste like chicken. <laughs> we were scared, you know. We didn't know what to do. We really don't eat people, but I always, it always works because as long as I'm fed, I won't eat any of the customers. We were scared. We didn't know anything about this guy. He didn't speak our language. We didn't know anything about him. We, he come all the way from all from all we knew, he could have come from outer space. What are you doing here? We asked him. And the best way we understood, he said he'd come to learn our language. For what? You come all the way from outer space to learn our language so that we were more suspicious of him. We were headhunters. We killed people. We did revenge type of killing. You heard Mike Mauer spoke about revenge type of killing. That's what we did. We worshiped the spirit world. You come all the way from nowhere, and we ask him some more, and we find out he was American, and we know about you Americans, because Second World War, General MacArthur, he said, I shall return. We were liberated, and we knew the power of America, the most powerful nation on earth, the richest in all the world. But we couldn't understand why on earth would you come to a village of Dibagat where it's subsistent living day in and day out, you live to survive, survive to live. Why would you leave your home, your country? Because everybody wants to survive. We want, we want to live well. But you leave your home, your country, and live among us and learn our language? It didn't make sense. So we asked him more. Why are you really here? He said, 
to learn our language and give us God's word in a heart language. And we said to him, God, did you say, who is your God? And he said, he's the God of heaven and earth. He created you. He's not created everything you see. And we said, is he powerful? He said, yeah, he's powerful. More powerful than the spirits that have controlled our lives from the beginning of time. He said, he's more powerful than they are. More powerful than our ancestors? He said, yeah, more powerful than that. We wanted to know more about his God because we were sick and tired of living in fear all the time. You, you, somebody gets sick, you call the witch doctor to appease the spirit somehow, and they want more and more and more. They want your total allegiance and everything. You walk the trail, you listen to that omen bird as it tells you what to do, when you can go and start your rice field. We were sick and tired of that. We didn't know how to get out of it. So we wanted to learn more about him and about his God. So we started teaching him our language and feeding him some of exotic food. You know, we eat some exotic food where I come from. Grubs to beetles to dog meat. In fact, I have 101 ways to walk your dog. You know what a walk, W-O-K, a deep frying pan. We walk the dog that way. And those beetles, you know, those termites. Chelsea, you need to eat some termites. They have, they're good, termites, you know. Termites are good. In the Philippines, we have those big Japanese beetles. They're big, you know. They pester your garden in this country. Did you know they're good to eat? You can eat them live. But be careful if you eat them live. Take the legs off before you put them in your mouth. If you don't, they'll crawl back out. <laughs> and if you really want to become good missionaries, you that are going as missionaries, if you really want to become good missionaries, you need to learn the song that says, Where he leads me, I will swallow. Where he feeds me, I will swallow. Sometimes the most disgusting thing to do is eat the food you're not familiar with. I love your food in this country, but I don't eat cottage cheese, and Ohio is famous for that. Americans become fancy with cottage cheese. They put it in China bowl, put cherry on top, but you know what the cherry is for? Camouflage the movement. It actually moves. <laughs> so we taught this guy our language, and it was awesome to see him learn our language, and then Pretty soon, my parents told me I was old enough to go to first grade. The problem with that was they didn't know how old I am. So to this day, I still don't know how old I am. So we taught him our language, and my dad told me I was old enough to go to first grade. I said, Dad, you don't even know how old I am, and it's true. I still don't know how old I am. I had to make up a date to get a birth certificate. But he points to a big mountain. You were born when we had a rice field on top of the mountain. He said, you're right, but I'm not seven. He said, you are seven. Reach across your head, touch your ear. I went like this, and sure enough, I could touch my ear on the other side. Gee, you're seven. Go to school. <laughs> so I hiked up the mountain down to the next village, and they were not teaching in the vernacular. My language is Isnag, and they were teaching in Ilocano, Tagalog, and English. I hated school, skipped school for three months, and flunked out of first grade. But you know, the missionaries were learning our language, writing primers and writing our alphabet and writing books. And they gave it to the teachers in the school. And when I went back to start first grade all over again, it was awesome because it was in our language. And we used to come to this missionary, listening to him as he talked and as he, he learned the language. And we'd laugh sometimes. When people laugh when you're learning the language, they're not laughing at you. They're just fascinated because you're willing to learn the heart language. And it really makes sense. And then one day he was telling us how powerful his God is. He has his son, Jesus, his name, coming down from heaven down to earth, nailed to a cross. And we said to ourselves, we thought he said his God is powerful. What kind of a God is it that could not even protect his only son to be nailed on a cross? Our ancestors, the headhunters, they defended us to the very death. But Dick, you said your God is not powerful enough to protect his son? 
why should we believe in a God like that? And to him, he could have just said, you Isnaks will never understand what grace is all about. We didn't because we didn't have the Bible. We've never read about grace. All we knew was revenge type of killing. That's what we knew. We didn't know about forgiveness. We didn't know about the grace of God. But you know, one of the exciting things that he stuck it up, stayed there. And one of the books that I always carry with me is this book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. It's all worn out. Christmas Day, 1963, he gave me a one of these books. And he came home on Forlow back to Brewer, Maine, and was sitting on top of a rock right below the village of Debaget, reading chapter 13, 14, and 15 of this book, the Gospel of Mark. And I remember reading through there as if God removing the veil out of my eyes and I could visualize for the very first time. Sitting right there reading chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of Mark. And it made sense as if he removed the veil out of my eyes as if I was right there in the presence of Jesus Christ. Reading about him, listening to him as he was teaching his disciples. And it was awesome to be there. I visualize everything. When you read the word of God in your heart language, do you visualize? Do you allow the master to remove the veil out of your eyes so that you could see Jesus and him alone? Where the song says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see Jesus. Do you do that when you read the word of God in your heart language? The very day, Christmas Day, 1963, but I couldn't understand as I followed them. They went, they ate their supper, you know, the, the picture of the Last Supper. They were sitting in a circle and they were eating with their hands because that's what we do in a hut. You circle in there, you squat on the floor, you eat with your hands. And that was my picture of the Last Supper, not like the picture some of you probably hang on your wall, you know. What Jesus says in the picture of the Last Supper. He says, hey guys, come on this side of the table if you want your picture to be taken. And I followed them as I went to the garden. I watched them as they went there. I looked over there and I see a mob of people. This is all in the Gospel of Mark in my heart language. And they went to the master. I see Judas kissing the master. I see the mob of people grabbing hold of the Son of God. And they drag him and they took him to the religious leaders, accusing him of all kinds of false accusations. And I said, this doesn't make sense. What, what are they doing to him? And inside my heart, he was pumping as hard as it could. I couldn't understand. And pretty soon, Pilate, I hear him say, I find no fault in him. And the people said, crucify him, crucify him. Watching the mob of people reading this gospel of Mark in my own heart language. And they mocked him some more, beat him up, and then they started nailing his hands and his feet. And there was a breaking point deep in my heart. I hated God to the guts. This gospel of Mark, I threw it down to the rocks and shook my fist to the, across the river and shouted on top of my voice. I said, I'll never believe in a powerless God like you. Why should I? Why should I believe in a God like you? I wanted a God who could protect me from the spirit world, but he's the God of this missionary. So powerless. And I wanted a God so powerful so that I could be protected from the spirit world, but no way. I'll never believe. I left my gospel down to the rocks. I started walking back towards the village. But you know, when God speaks to us, I don't know how he speaks to you, but for me, as if God reaching into my little heart and he squeezed it and said, Nard, don't you understand that's how much I love you? And for the very first time, I understood what the cross meant for me. I said, God, you love me that much. You'd do that for me. You would do that for me. That you'd send your son for me. 
I was new. That's what the Bible says. God, if you love me that much, and I am all yours. I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my life. I was new. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Second Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, everything becomes new. Are you new this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ? You heard all the things that's happening around the world. Are you new this morning? Do you know Jesus? Man, he's awesome, isn't it? I went back, picked up my gospel, and I continued reading where I left off, and I said, wow. And found out the power of the resurrection, where Jesus, he died on the cross, they buried him in a tomb, the third day he rose again. I said, wow, this is awesome. Nobody among the Isnaks have ever risen from the grave, but he is the son of God. I said, wow, God, you are awesome. And I love to listen to Don Francisco when he sings the song, he's alive, he's alive. I've been forgiven, heaven's gates are open wide, he's alive. That's why I love to listen to him. Do you love him? Well, God took me on an incredible journey from there. It's been awesome the way you look at the, the events in history, the way he orchestrated. And as you look at each one of your lives, God placed special people in your lives that are the unsung heroes of the faith. They come alongside of you. And I marvel this morning because God has placed special people in my life that are the unsung heroes. And yet one day I'm going to be up there and say, Lord, these are the people for whom you have placed in my life so that I am where I am today. God is doing that. Took me out of the village in there. Richard Bro comes back to the village just like he did. And I told him I met Jesus. And the joy of ministry when people smile, like Chelsea said, they smile when they know about the king. To Richard Bro, there was an overflowing joy because I had met Christ and he's been praying for me. And he said, I need somebody to go with me to Mindanao. I don't know where Mindanao was, southern part of the Philippines. My worldview was in the village of Debagat. I looked all the way around. It's all mountains. And he said uh, he needed somebody to go with him. But my prayer, my second prayer when I met Christ in a personal way was, I said, Lord, I want to go to school. Would you provide money for me to go to school? And God used that missionary. And he said he came back in there to Debagat and he said, I need someone to go with me to Mindanao. And I didn't know where that one was. And the sweetest music to my ear was when he said, how would you like to go with me? You help me with the language, and I'll help you go to school. Then he said something crazy. We need to build an airstrip. And I said, what's an airstrip? He said, we're airplane lands. I said, what's an airplane? Airstrip, airplane? Is this guy nuts or what? But we built an airstrip in the village of Debagat, 600 feet long, 60 feet wide. And we named it Debagat International Airport. March of 19. 64, a beautiful hillier courier like we have in there, lands on a newly built air strip. I was in awe. My first time to see an airplane, to go out to an unknown world that didn't know existed. And I remember sitting in the backseat of that airplane. Richard Rose sat next to me, and the pilot put a big basket up front. And I was all smiles looking to the side, and I said, wow, this is my first airplane ride. And the engine roared. It was still good. And soon he revved up some more, and soon he was moving down this undulating airstrip we are airborne. And I screamed for dear life. I grabbed hold of the missionary's leg. I said, oh, no, please, don't let me die. This is not the way to go. I was screaming for dear life. 55 minutes of pure terror. I didn't want to have anything to do with flying. But God had a different flight plan, isn't it, that he does for all of us, different flight plan for all of us. Landing in Bagabag, 
flying was for the birds as far as I was concerned, but I had to learn four other languages besides mine. But I was growing in my love and passion for Christ. The missionaries made me live and walk and, and learn from the Bible. And one of the missionary pilots down the southern part of the Philippines told me one day, he said, Nard, one of these days we might not be welcomed in your country. You got to go learn to do what I'm doing so you can come back and fly. I said, yeah, right. Me? I was born in a hut with a machete in my hand. There is no way I could ever do such a thing. But you know, I found out 35 years of flying with Wycliffe and Jars. It really doesn't matter whether you're born in a hut, born in a mansion, or born in a stable. When God says, I want you, he takes you to be his own. He makes all things possible because he's the God of the impossible, isn't it? So there's no excuse for anybody who says, I can't, because God says, yes, you can with my power and with my grace. It's awesome. So I came back here and got my training and went back to the Philippines. I met my wife, Sandy, in Waxo in 1972. We've been married for 36 years, but she chased me for four and a half years until I caught her. We joined Wycliffe 35 years ago, and we were assigned to the Philippines, and the joy of returning to the Philippines is this book, The New Testament in Isnag, My Heart Language. June 24, 1982, God orchestrated the event in history so that I would be back in the Philippines to fly as a pilot, checked out in our village airstrip in there before anything else happened. And I was packing the first 500 copies of this book, God's Word in Isnag, and I was asking the question, Lord, what if, what if Dick said no? Or what if his supporters like you are support missionaries? What if you say, no, forget it. We can send them my used tea bags or used everything else. But no, God knew there was a little boy born in a little tiny hut. And by you, how God orchestrated a long time before I was even born, returning full circle. He will be the one orchestrated by his mighty hand to take the word of God to his own people. Only God could do that, isn't it? And I loaded them in the Hillier Courier, fastened my wife's seatbelt. Our oldest son, Stephen, was just two years old. We took off on a clear day on our way to the Bagat. And 55 minutes later, I could see the winding Abolog River coming up to my village. The missionaries traveled 25 years. And I said, God, you could have drowned every one of them, allowed Satan to drown them. But no, you protected them because the 24th day of June 1982 was a special event in history in the Bagat, written not on newspapers and anywhere in the world, but written in your hands and you knew that schedule God could only do. I looked at the airstrip in a bank, the Helio Korea and that airstrip in there, the Bagat International, it looked pretty good in there. But 45 minutes hike to the next mountain, down to the next valley is where I was born. Half a minute later, I was circling the little tiny village of Bayuhau and down below, I could see coconuts after coconuts after coconuts underneath the coconut groves, three little tiny huts. And I said, Lord, look at the third hut on the right as if he didn't know. You plucked your Formed me in secret there and plucked me out of there to become yours. The thought of knowing God, the God of heaven and earth, can pinpoint anywhere in the world and say, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. And he plucks you out of there to become his. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That God would do that to us. It's awesome. I lined up with an approach I couldn't miss and I touched down. I was trained by jars to fly and I touched down. I stopped that airplane within 200 feet. It stopped. I taxied to the end. I turned around and I shut down. I got out. My wife got out. Stephen got out. I went to the back seat of that airplane. I picked up the first box and I went and placed it underground. And as I went for the second box, the snakes come running up to the hilltop. But you know, they were all my relatives, so I ignored them. 
I picked up the second box and I was about ready to put it beside the first one that I just placed on the ground and the woman picked it up and placed it on top of her head because that's how they carry stuff. I looked and it was my oldest sister, Emma. And I hollered, I said, hey, Manang, that means older sister. And she turned around, she said, adding young, younger brother, what's up? And I said to her, hey, Manang, do you know what you're carrying? She said, it's just a box, I have to move it out of the way. And I said to her, hey, Manang, those are New Testaments in our language. At that moment, I wish I had a camera to capture the moment. As she smiled big, sparkle in the eyes, moving one leg and then the other leg, grabbing hold of that box, lifting it with all her strength and bringing it down, literally hugged it. She said, are you serious? I'm going to have a copy of my very own New Testament in our language. And inside my heart, it was about ready to break. And I said, oh, God, what if Dick said no? And, you know, imagine for one moment that feeling of reading for the very, very first time in your own heart language, the word of life, the word of God, where it touches you to the very core of your being, where it says, Atahapu, kiabai panang ya minyane, Dios kada yang amin tolai, itu nebona ya sangana nana, tesenung amin da ya mangoroka gena, kana mesimna ke Dios, nidetan biagda kwan panda. Man, that's the power of John 3.16, for God to love the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's power. And that's my passion. That's why I do what I do, because I love the passion to watch people read the word of God. But you know, there's still just a couple of weeks, about a week ago, I heard that there are still less than 2,000 languages on earth. I'd still need the word of God in the heart language. And I carry with me every time I go a place. It's a reminder for me of the grace of God in my own heart language. This is a computer printout of all the languages set to go. And perhaps here this morning, if I could do this one right. Perhaps this morning there is another Richard Rowe here, or a Brian and Sandy Stoltzfus, or a Chelsea, or a Grace, or a Chris, who would be willing to go and say, I want to be a part of that, to get one of those languages, so that the Nard Pugyaos who stood before us this morning, many more of them will come to know Jesus Christ before Jesus returns. This is a job that all of us have to be involved with. Because the Bible says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. Or for us in Wycliffe, this message of the gospel will be translated in all the 2,000 languages left on earth so that they too can read for themselves in the heart language. Jesus is Lord, returning King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a job. Maybe some of you young people, moms and dads, grandma and grandpa, you can send your grandkids. You can go yourself. And Austin Stoltzfus was just in Balanga. If you heard Joe Shetler last night, Austin and a group of men went to Balanga this past year to do the Old Testament translation center for the Balanga people. 
And God is still looking for men and women. Isn't it awesome that God would use us? And you that can go, you send them out with your prayers, with your love, with your finances like Brian and Sandy as they go back to Sudan in October. And as a sister gone to Cambodia and all the things that God is doing for you and for us in Wycliffe. This is a challenge and the church of Jesus Christ will have to be because he is going to return for sure. No doubt about that. That's why Paul said, I love what he says. Therefore, beloved brethren, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you labor, you labor, you labor, you labor. It's not in vain in the Lord. And again, deep in my heart, I stand in awe at the God of heaven and earth. For all of you that are unsung heroes of the faith, I stand in awe. You pilots and mechanics and missionaries and all alike, I'm standing here because of what you have done for him and him alone. Because it's him and for you, Pastor. Thank you deep in my heart. God bless you. Thank you.